Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of season two of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallel with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm writer and man who can turn a straight guy's head, Giles Goff. And I'm bassist and Warrington's Rear of the Year 2009, Phil Coleman. And during this time of Tier 3 tumultuousness, we'll be trying to stave off the desire to interfere in foreign elections by raising our film geek flails to analyse Thor, the 2011 film starring Anthony Hopkins, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth as the eponymous Norse god. Directed by my man Kenneth Branagh, hereafter referred to as Kay Brizzle. Okay. We'll be looking at a wealth of metaphors ranging from Lucifer and Adam and a particularly convincing Arthur C. Clark quote. Phil, what did you think of this film? So, when I first watched this film, I remember not being particularly bothered by it. I was just like, mm. eh, this is okay. But watching it again today, I was just like, actually, you know what? It's dead good, this. Why did I... Mm. I, I couldn't... I can't place my finger on what it was that I wasn't so um, enamoured by. But, like, I just love the fact that Kenneth Branagh manages to somehow see blend Asgard with Earth in terms... It doesn't feel jarring when it switches from Asgard yeah, to Earth. It's kind of thing. Not, not really maybe, impressive, that, isn't it? It seems to blend so well, and I don't know how he managed it, but he did it very well. What's impressive for me is that prior to this, we've had Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and I think Hulk. I think that's about right. Yeah. What impressed me the most was that this is, is arguably the biggest risk going for... We're effectively introducing a magical character, and yet they do it with such sort of strength and conviction in their storytelling... I was so absolutely blown away by it. I just, I was really chuffed to see how well this film holds up. I tell you what, for 2011, best Nine part of a decade ago, yeah. ago, and I tell you what, it still looks beautiful, that it film does, as well. It? And without further ado, let's get into Phil's Facts. Okay, so we, um, we've got Thor, it's a 2011 American superhero film based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name. It's the fourth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU, and it was directed by Kay Brizzle. Sorry, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, after reigniting a dormant war, Thor is banished from Asgard to Earth, stripped of his powers and his hammer Mjolnir. As his brother Loki plots to take over the Asgardian throne, Thor must prove himself worthy. So, when Chris Hemsworth and Sir Anthony Hopkins saw each other in full armour for the first time, Hopkins said, God, there's no acting required here, is there? And to be fair, the, the costume department absolutely knocked it out of the park. It looks mythical, but also mm. they're almost in, like, space suits. And I just love that. I just think it looks great. According to director Sir Kenneth Branagh, the closing credit sequence was based on images from the Hubble Space Telescope and took 18 months to create. Really? It's just so sumptuous, that uh, those closing credits, aren't they? You know? Uh, they're, they're, the... so, they're just so easy to watch. You just sort of get immersed mm. into it, which is great because it's the end credits. It never usually happens that way. So, director Kenneth Branagh asked Anthony Hopkins to improvise his reaction to Thor yelling at him in the banishment scene. Hopkins agreed, and when the scene was filmed, many of the cast and crew present were sobbing. Chris <laughs> Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston later said that they had to struggle to keep their composure during filming that scene. Hiddleston mm -hmm. later complimented Hopkins, to which he said, Ken's fantastic, isn't he? <laughs> Hang on, Ken's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so he's just there going, wasn't that a great decision from Kenneth Branagh rather than, wasn't my acting brilliant? And I just, it's, how precious is Anthony Hopkins? I love that guy. And he's so yeah. talented. Well, I think I love Anthony Hopkins on another level because he's Welsh. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we have a limited number of famous, cool Welsh people. So <laughs> the ones we have, we treasure them, we hold them close in our hearts, you know? I'm bloody Odin, I am. <laughs> I'm going to have to go into the Odin sleep now. That was one creative choice that was rejected quite early on. 
Welsh Asgard. Can you imagine? Oh, I'd I'd pay good money to see that. Um, So, (laughs) Kenneth Branagh has uh, has been a fan of Thor since childhood. Uh, Mm. When Marvel Studios selected him as the director, they sent him the complete collection of the Marvel Thor comic series as reference material for the character. I could only sort of retort to that as, I am well gel. (laughs) Yeah. Presumably there's like a truck that has to get backed up with all those uh, Oh, mate, like, I I can imagine that if... He must have had to get it in installments, or at the very <laughs> least, he's going to have to get a big old shed. Yeah. Like, I just don't know how they manage that. But Tom Hiddleston prepared for the role of Loki by going on a strict diet before and throughout filming so that Loki would have a lean but hungry visage. Yeah, that tracks. It really helps his character seeing him sort of, he's almost a bit like a, a shark, almost, sort of just like yeah. looking for his prey darting around. That said, out of the two of them, when you think about diet and exercise regime, you, you, you're not really focusing on Tom Hiddleston's one, really, are you? No, to you be know? honest, you, you see that scene with Chris Hemsworth, he's not got a shirt on, and you just yeah. think, oh, damn it, man. You know, you just... said, there's a brilliant quote from Kenneth Branagh that says something like, whenever he wasn't acting, you'd just turn around, and there'd be Chris eating chicken, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I did. That was something I was going to... That was a fact I actually omitted. Cause, oh, sorry. Right. Uh, no, 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 I omitted it from this one oh, okay. because um, it just that it was on a diet of, like, chicken, turkey, loads of protein, eggs, cheese, and then for mm-hmm. some reason in there it said sandwiches. And I'm just like, protein just sandwiches? sandwiches? Or... Yeah, thanks <laughs> for that. A few minutes after Thor smashes the coffee cup in the diner, you can see the truck that Stan Lee was driving pass by the diner. And you can tell because the back half is missing after being pulled off trying to move <laughs> me all near out the crater. <laughs> you can see at the background just half a truck just going past. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Mjolnir is ancient Norse for grinder. The name is derived from a proto-Germanic form, which I'm probably going to pronounce all of this wrong, so sorry everyone, which is Meldenjas from the Germanic roots of Melanan to grind, and mm-hmm. Melwan is Old Icelandic, also Meld, Meldir, Mjol, or Mjol for meal or flour, yielding an interpretation of the grinder or crusher. That's some lovely imagery, that. Just crushes people, Grinding, don't say. Crush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just lots of grinding and crushing at <laughs> Frost Giants. So Tom Hiddleston described his role as Loki as a comic book but nastier version of King Lear's Edmund. In the William Shakespeare play, Edmund was the illegitimate uh, son of the Earl of Gloucester who hmm. was jealous of his legitimate son, Edgar, and tricked his father into banishing him into exile. I can definitely see the comparisons. It's not an accident that Kenneth Branagh got the directing job for this one because you need people who can pull off Shakespeare to be able to pull off the kind of gravitas of sort of kings and fathers and sons at war and all the rest of it. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that you can see Shakespeare connotations all the way through. Like that bit where Thor says to, to Odin, you are a, a, a weak and foolish old man that's the sort of thing you could see Hal saying to Henry the fourth in one of the plays you know it, it's all in there yeah it's, it's got like that huge feeling again the gravitas of it is you only usually see it in Shakespeare and anything derived yeah. from Shakespeare according to director Kenneth Branagh sorry Sir Kenneth Branagh actually I should say uh, this movie's biggest challenge uh, was sorry K Briz let's so, get it right Phil according to director Sir K Briz Thank as you. As I'm sure his mum calls him and named him at birth. Uh, this movie's biggest challenge was connected to the worlds of Asgard and 21st century Earth. It's about finding the framing style, the colour palette, finding the texture and the amount of camera movement that helps celebrate and express the differences and distinctions in those worlds. If it succeeds, it will mark this film as different. The combination of the primitive and the sophisticated, the ancient and the modern, I think 
that potentially is the exciting fusion, the exciting tension in the film. And that's a quote from Kay Briz himself. Did you not think that Asgard looked like it would make for a fantastic retirement community? (laughs) 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 Given the choice, I'm either going to retire to Asgard or Rivendell from uh, in Middle Earth because those would be two great places to be. I see Asgard as a bit like a dead magical centre parks. (laughs) 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 You know, like you you go there, you stay in your chalet (laughs) and you're like... You know, you can buy extra things. <laughs> maybe I'll ride. Maybe I'll ride the eight-legged horse today. Oh, I don't know. I've got a booking with Odin first. You know, <laughs> it's. It, I sense a business opportunity. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yep. So yeah. Carry on. So we're mm-hmm. just gonna we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hiddleston researched Marvel Comics Loki and found him to be a multidimensional character and based his performance as Loki on three different actors: Peter O'Toole, enigmatic, reckless persona; Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, edgy and nearly insane persona; and Clint Eastwood with simmering anger. I can see the Peter O'Toole. I would struggle to see the Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood. You know? The Peter O'Toole I see the most when I think of Jack Nicholson doing like edgy or nearly insane. I think of like The Shining or yeah. him as the Joker. I think. Yeah, maybe. I think when I when I look at Jack Nicholson for a lot of his sort of most iconic roles, he seems like a character who's slightly out of control. Yeah. Loki always seems in control. Loki's got a plan at yeah. every single step, and for that plan, he's got several other plans. Like he's a schemer. So. Exactly. Executive producer Stan Lee claimed he'd always wanted to play Odin but was happy when Sir Anthony Hopkins uh, got the role. (laughs) And I think you would be. (laughs) Yeah. I know I would, you know. (laughs) Anyway, that is my facts for this episode. Your facts absolutely make me smile every single time. Thank you so much for those. No problem at all. No problem at all. Now, for our special returning guest, a man who knows more about Marvel than the rest of the internet combined. Ooh, I know who this is. You last heard him in our Captain Marvel episode. I will let him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Matt Heslop. I'm here to talk about Thor from the comic books as well as in the MCU. Matt, it is so good to have you again. It's really nice to have a returning guest. What can you tell us about Marvel's Thor and how he came to be? Thor was actually created as a response to another earlier Marvel hero, which was the Incredible Hulk. Oh, really? Yeah. If you look at previous interviews, for example, Stanley himself was quoted as saying, what do you do when you've created the strongest human there is? <laughs> the answer's simple, make a god. <laughs> as such, that's how he came. Along with most of them, he was introduced in an anthology series. Mm-hmm. And the one he was introduced in was Journey into Mystery. The character had such a great following. People loved it. Mm. that eventually they went through and Journey into Mystery began to feature more and more stories of Thor that eventually they retitled Journey into Mystery (laughs) as The Mighty Thor. That is brilliant. So obviously we've got Thor in the comic books and we've got Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the MCU for short. How do they differ? I personally could easily say that of all the characters that have appeared in the MCU, the character that has been changed the most is Thor in quite a few different aspects. Firstly, his family. In the MCU, there's Frigga, his mother, Odin, and Loki, 
and Thor, where in actual facts, compared to the comics, there's a lot more. Frigga is his stepmother, his m- actual mother being Gaia, oh, the really? goddess of the Earth it's herself. Okay. He's also got more brothers than just Loki. There's Boulder, Tyr, Vidir, Hodum, and he also has two sisters as well. So that sounds almost a bit closer to the, the sort of mythical Thor. In some ways, yes. Uh, but again, there's differences there. Okay. The MCU Thor is actually closer to the mythological legends Mm. than the comic books are. And it's quite featured that way throughout quite a lot of things. And so you see this in a lot of different aspects. Obviously, as well, in the comic books, Sif, or Lady Sif, is actually more of a love interest than just an unrequited crush. Mm. But I can say so, one of the biggest changes is Donald Blake. Yes. We've all heard of him. Well, I mean, mm. we have, but let's explain the Donald Blake <laughs> thing. See, how would you sum up the, the, the significant changes that have gone on there? Quite simply, actually. In the MCU, we are told that Donald Blake is Jane Foster's ex and is a pseudonym that Thor takes on. In the comics, when we first opened up the first issue he appeared in, we didn't meet Thor. We met Donald Blake, who's a physician who's travelling around and became under siege. And he grabbed a stick, which when he banged against a rock, turned him into Thor. Now, for a while, it was presumed that Thor was just an entity that was sharing his body through the use of Mjolnir, but it was actually revealed that when Thor had been banished by Odin, Odin had stripped him of his memories and created the persona of Donald Blake, which... Thor then went on. I call retcon. I, I reckon that the Donald Blake personality somehow became inconvenient for somebody in a writer's room somewhere and they just decided to get rid of that nonsense. There's actually quite a few people who'd agree with you there. It is obviously a retcon, but it's quite a neat retcon, isn't it? It, it gets around a few issues quite nicely. Yes. Of all the retcons they've done with Thor over the years, it's safe to say that that Donald Blake retcon was the simplest and seamless one they did. Yeah, it's nice and elegant. So that brings me to my next question. How has the character of Thor evolved over the years? Quite a lot, actually. For example, we all know him as a founding member of the Avengers. What a lot of people don't realise is, for example, in the comics, while he was a founding member, he'd only sporadically appear in the Avengers. And it wasn't until the early 2010s where he took a leading permanent position on the team. That is quite late on that, isn't it? Yeah, He'd appear for the big crossovers and everything, but it wasn't until, I believe, 2012 where he became a permanent member. That's because he had his own title, wasn't it? For example, the the alternate is is true. That's why Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye were such mainstays of the Avengers, was they couldn't support a title on their own to go off and do things like Thor, Hulk or Captain America. So they end up being regular members of the group. That's exactly right. But if I believe it is safe to say that on top of everything I've said so, Thor is the character who's shown so much more progression and evolution almost as than other characters. Okay. We've seen the titles change. Originally it was the Mighty Thor. Mm-hmm. We've had King Thor. We've had the Unworthy Thor. Oh wow. Odinson. Not just that, we've seen such a titular change as well. For example, we had, this was I believe early 90s, mm-hmm. there was a point where they removed the Donald Blake persona completely and had Thor share the body of someone called Eric 
Eric Masterson. This eventually split and led to a new Thor-based character, which was Thunderstrike. Uh, he's a wonderful example of how they've changed it and how they once again went back to, like they had previously, the two entities inhabiting one body. Thunderstrike's the fellow with the beard and the ponytail, isn't he? And yeah. the mace. Originally, Thor had wanted a bit of time away, so he had granted his powers onto this Eric Masterson. Eventually, as the stories went on, Thor and Eric clash, and it eventually separated with Thor taking back his own name and Eric Masterson taking on the name Thunderstrike after the mace that Odin had made for him. Gotcha. This is a similar reoccurring theme with the Thor comics. This is very much how Beta Ray Bill, an alien, came into being. He eventually was given a weapon, Stormbreaker, which is the twin of Mjolnir. Yeah. We've also had Throg, <laughs> which was yeah. where Loki turned Thor into a frog, and eventually this frog just developed its own character and still exists today. But... Because of course you do. <clears throat> but that's not the most controversial yes. of the sort of changes with Thor, is it? No, not in the slightest. And this one will take a slight bit of explaining. In a storyline that Marvel Comics did called Original. Original Sin. Mm-hmm. It ended with Nicholas Fury whispering a word into Thor's ear. Thor drops the hammer, Mjolnir, and is unable to pick it up. He is now unworthy, which led to a tenure for several, several years of him being known as Odinson and not oh, wow. by the name Thor, as this was taken up by another character. A character we are all familiar with through the films, mm-hmm. Jane Foster, who at the time was suffering from cancer and was refusing medical help, but had picked up Mjolnir and taken on that mantle. And it was such a different breath of fresh air. Similar with other storylines that Marvel Comics did for a good long while, it was, who is this female Thor? With various names being battered around, including Captain Marvel, Jennifer Walters for She-Hulk, Invisible Woman, so many names got thrown around. And Thor actually presumed at one point that it could have been Jane Foster, but fobbed that idea off (laughs) as he thought it wouldn't make sense Mm-hmm. as Jane Foster was far too weak due to her chemotherapy. Matt, that is all the time we got today. Thank you so much for giving us all that insight into Thor. I've really come away with a lot more knowledge than I had before. That was brilliant. No problem. Thank you for having me again. So that was Matt Heslop. Phil, what did you think? It's like listening to Wikipedia talk. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he, yeah. He's just got such a, so much knowledge and it is so, it's just so much of a pleasure to listen to him talk about something he's passionate about. I really like that. Just a sexy See all-knowing Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, no, I loved it, loved it. I particularly like the idea that Thor is a reaction to creating Hulk. It makes a lot of sense when you sort of think about it, because, like you said, you've got one guy who literally just turns into the strongest thing on the planet and can't actually be shot, for example. <laughs> mm. Then, yeah, I guess um, <laughs> I guess you just have to go, yeah. well, you're to be a god then. Here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I like the little retcon that we find out about that. Uh, that was like, ah, he's Donald Blake was Thor all along, not the other way around. I also quite That's like a... the quite like the throg, <laughs> <laughs> which is just I, I, because... I, I've seen pictures of it. Like you know, when you look up like different versions of Thor on Google or something. Yeah. Like that, and I just I remember seeing that and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, 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 all right. I think now it is time for <gasps> finding the faith in the film. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I always tell my students when they're prepping up for their English exams is I explain to them the difference between breadth and depth of knowledge that breadth is knowing lots of things 
and depth is being able to know a lot about one thing. And I always tell them, you want to show us depth of knowledge. And today I'm going to break my very own rule because I'm going to give you breadth of knowledge. I'm going to show you lots of different possible little metaphors that I think fit in here. But we've got so many of them. I'm not going to have time to go into any one of them in any great level of detail. Right. You know, I'll try, I'll try not to uh, go off on one as much as I do this time. <laughs> so I don't think it's difficult to see this film as a redemption story. But in order for someone to be redeemed, they first have to have done something wrong. They have to sin. So I wanted to start off by asking, what is Thor's sin in this story? How do I put this? He's, he's, he's just really immature. Like he he he's mm. he's quite uh, underdeveloped as a as a person at the start of the story because he his reaction to the frost giants invading the weapon room and the relic room mm. is really really sort of like he's too reactionary and he doesn't think. Yeah, there's lots of things you could possibly say. You could say he's reactionary. You could say he's warmongering. For me, I think it boils down to pride. You know? Yes, I, think he... I couldn't think of the one of the seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there, like I'll say it and. Giles will say it eventually. <laughs> Just, he'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that, and and that that is the format of the show, guys. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I wanted to look at another character who was, for want of a better phrase, famous for being proud, and that is uh, Lucifer. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lucifer being one of the names for for the devil. It means uh, the morning star. We haven't really talked about the the devil or Lucifer or Satan or anything like that uh, in this podcast. What do you know about him? Well, obviously, there's lots of sort of colloquial and um, sort of mainstream interpretations of him physical interpretations of him as like a, a mm-hmm. red guy that exists in a big fiery place that's underground known as hell Yeah. like if you're thinking more of like what is he or who is he he's sort of I always think of him as like the embodiment of all the bad stuff that humanity does the embodiment of sin like he's he's, yeah, he's sort of like the gatekeeper for the people who don't get into heaven yeah almost. that's interesting you sort of dance around do you know his origin story he's a fallen angel right yeah the idea was he's sort of a high-ranking position in the angelic host, you know, and he's meant to be exquisitely beautiful, great wisdom, fantastic position of power. Here's how he's referenced in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's an Old Testament prophet, and it says, it's it's almost like he's speaking directly to uh, Lucifer at this point. He says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. Do you remember we talked about cherubs yeah, last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this kind of, almost like a, 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 a manticore or like different things sort of stuff yeah of course yeah he's a for so i like a like yeah. a chimera i think is what i said yeah 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 yeah. for so i ordained you you were on the holy mount of god you walked among the fiery stones you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you through your widespread trade you were filled with violence and you sinned so i drove you in disgrace from the mount of god and i expelled you a guardian cherub from among the fiery stones your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor so i threw you to earth i made a spectacle of you before kings. That's from Ezekiel 28, verse 12 to 17. And we talked about uh, we talked about cherubs uh, before, how they surrounded God's throne, Lucifer being a, a guardian cherub. And also, I don't know if you remember, there was mention about the cherubim being used to guard the Garden of Eden. Yeah, yeah. I think we yeah. may have mentioned that. It does ring a bell. So Lucifer, for one of better phrase, he's cock of the walk. He is totally <laughs> awesome. And he starts to think, you know what? I am kind of awesome and I deserve to be worshipped. I think maybe I should be running the show around here, you know? What? Second God? That's me. And he's just like, right, yeah. God's just there like, well, we're going to have a bit less of that, Lucy. Can I call you Lucy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember a, a school friend of mine saying that, you know, when he first heard the name, he didn't know the associations with it. And Lucifer sounded like a nice girl's name. Yeah. Lucy, Lucifer. So. Like one of my ex-girlfriend's There's... MSN scream name was Lucifer, which is weird because she was also quite Christian. So I'd, and I'd, I've never understood it, really. <laughs> Naturally. There's another quote where Isaiah talks about it. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That's Isaiah 14, uh, verse 12 to 15. Sheol. So, so Sheol is kind of another name for hell. Right. Okay. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a Hebrew word. We won't get into this in much depth now, but hell is very sketchily defined in the Bible. It's not given as much detail as you'd as you'd think. I was trying to explain hell to my boss at work, weirdly. Uh, of but I, I, it just was one of those conversations that came up. But I always I always think of it as like it's a very personal experience. Like everybody's hell is different because yeah. it depends on what you personally would find hellish. The way it has been defined to me as being a world with a total absence of God. If you think of all the bad things that happen in our world now, if you imagine that that they were the only things to happen, you know, that those that yeah. If you took if you took all the good things out of this world and just had the bad things, that's what I picture hell being like. So, you know? so Donald Trump's second term. Don't, don't <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Don't, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't, don't even. Because uh, uh, <laughs> listeners at the time of recording, we don't know how the US election turned out. And we are praying furiously. At mm-hmm. this point. I, even I am. <laughs> but I'm having, a, I'm having a good old pray right now. Anyway. <laughs> So anyway, that's the uh, the thing. Lucifer gets kicked out of heaven in the same way that Thor gets kicked out of Asgard, but crucially, Thor gets redeemed. He's, there's a, there's even a, a line from Luke ten eighteen where Jesus says, "I saw Satan falling fall like lightning from heaven," and so it's commonly referenced in a few different things, you know. Yeah. So this idea of being kicked out, I wanted to sort of come back to it, and we've looked at the Lucifer connection. You know, because obviously Thor, when we see him in those early scenes in Asgard, everyone's cheering him on. He's handsome, he's strong, he's powerful. Mm-hmm. And you can see that pride connection there quite yeah. easily. Now, again, here comes my, my, my breadth, not depth. But I want to think about Thor as Adam, as the, as the first man. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the scene where Odin kicks Thor out of Asgard? Yeah, it's in the uh, in the Bifrost. Yeah, it's a really evocative scene, beautifully now, performed as well by everybody in that scene. Oh gosh, just yeah. absolutely oh, amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, once Odin banishes Thor, can you remember the very next thing he does? He banishes Thor, and then he tells, he, he whispers at the hammer, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He says, "Whosoever is worthy shall wield the." Yeah, the you're nearly there. Or he, whatever, he, picks, like he picks up Mjolnir <laughs> and whispers into it, "Whosoever lifts his hammer, if he be." Worthy, worthy will possess the power of Thor there we go so <laughs> essentially what he does is he banishes his son and the very next thing he does is give him a way back yeah no cooling off period no well I've had a thought and I've changed my mind it's like okay I know I've had to do this thing I hated having to do this thing here's how you get back I loved that because it it reminded me a little bit of Adam and Eve being banished from the Garden of Eden yeah okay which is an inspiration that Branagh was conscious of when he filmed that scene so to give you an idea of what i'm talking about god finds out they've eaten the fruit from the tree of the of life mm-hmm. and the first person he turns to is the serpent who we traditionally see as de- 
depicting Lucifer and Satan. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now that has been often interpreted as a prophecy surrounding Jesus, that the offspring of a human woman will crush the devil's head uh, and you will strike his heel. So essentially it's saying you'll hurt him, but he'll hurt you way more. Yeah, I think we might have touched on this before. This rings a bell. Like it's saying like that kind of thing is like, yeah, you're both going to hurt each other, but you're going to hurt him quite a bit. Yeah, you're going to come out of this much worse because he's going to crush your head, you know? Textbook example of you should see the other guy kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I say textbook, Bible. No, do you know what? That's a really interesting thing because we tend to think of things in terms of good and evil, God and the devil. We tend to give them a level of parity that they're more or less the same. Of course. But it, it really is a case of you should see the other guy. Like, with Jesus, you can kill him and it will barely slow him down, you know? You can kill him, he just comes back just like, bloody hell, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> just, anyone got any wine? <laughs> yeah, that's how I'd feel. It, it's not going to bother him that much, you know? I imagine so not, I thought no. that's, you know, So I thought that was, uh, that was really interesting. <sighs> the next thing I wanted to talk about was, did you hear there's, there's a, a reference to Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer in this? At the start of this podcast, yes, I heard of it, but I didn't know about that before. So yeah. okay, that yeah, that that that's me. So they reference Arthur C. Clarke in it, who was a science fiction writer. Arthur C. Clarke's third law states: any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Now, 21st century thinkers have taken that line and they've just kind of tweaked it and advanced it and said any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial intelligence is indistinguishable from God. Interesting. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's essentially what they're saying here. They're, they're, like, Stanley created a bit of a problem by bringing a god into his, his Marvel universe. Yeah. We've talked about Stanley in the past that he's this sort of secular humanist. He, he, sort, he, he kind of believes in God, but he kind of doesn't. Yeah. So, and th- this has caused quite a, a problem for them over the years of how do you reconcile having a, a Norse deity when you're going out to a readership of people who are Christians and Jews and non-believers and all, all other different types, you know? And I just thought it was it was really interesting the way that they, they essentially say, well, these Norse gods are really just technologically advanced aliens. Yeah, because they're not gods. They're from Venus. There you go. <laughs> You know, it's just like, yeah. well, okay, right, cool. Well, that clears that one up then, you know. But uh, there's a point when um, Thor is explaining to Jane Foster the Nine Realms, uh, and he's mm-hmm. drawing in the notebook and that, and he says, I'm paraphrasing this, but something along the lines of, you people might see what I do as magic, and you and you study science, whereas for us, it's one in the same thing. Yeah. So there's like a, a bit of a nod to it there as well, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and this is something that we've touched on in the past, the idea that, at least, again, that we might be dipping into Giles' Christian headcanon. Yeah. That I, I tend to think that, that science and theology are like two hands reaching out to something from opposite directions, you know? Yeah. And I, I find that stuff absolutely fascinating because if you could prove that there was a God, then there then we would be into scientific territory. You would have to describe him as being a, some kind of extraterrestrial being, you know, and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, that would be... I don't want to go, I don't want to go too, too far down this road because sooner or later, I'm pretty sure you end up in Scientology country but I do think this is something we should definitely 
definitely come back to yeah, at some point in the future. Yeah, that's, you know? that's the kind of country where you think, you know what, I wish I hadn't got through the border on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, and do you know what? The funny thing was, like I said, this, this issue of how do you reconcile a god in your stories is a really interesting one. Do you know what? I actually dug this out. Uh, Marvel Superheroes. My word. Um, so it's a British reprint of American stories, and this comes from September 1980, so nearly three years before I was born. <laughs> the Avengers are fighting Ultron, and there's one point where they're taken into a convent, and there's this brilliant bit here where Scarlet Witch says to Thor, you seem a bit uncomfortable, Thor. Thor responds, I wonder, verily, this house of Christian worship hath no regard for the Asgardian god of thunder. And Wanda, uh, Scarlet Witch, kind of looks at him and goes, should it? <laughs> and then um, Thor responds with, name a lady. Even my father, mighty Odin, who is called all-powerful, doth lay no claim to supreme divinity, yet twould seem that many mark my very existence as an affront to this edifice. So it's this really interesting idea that they're trying to say, yeah, okay, I'm a god, and my dad is like king of the gods, but he's not the god, you know? It's not... Yeah, yeah. You can have and... gods in the sort of more, like, terrestrial term, mm. but you can also have gods in the divine term as well. I also quite... I say quite like, I love the way that Thor talks in the comics. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just so... Just kind of like, oh, doth hath blah de blah hath doth. And it's just like... Wow, you are so pretty. <laughs> Two more things I want to talk about. Uh, can yes. you remember the the big shiny metal thing that uh, that comes to to kill them all? Oh, the the big living suit of armor that's just full of fire. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what it's called? Uh, absolutely no. I don't think I actually heard what it was called in the film. It's called the Destroyer. Oh right. And, well, that was um, that's a lot more bloody simple than I was expecting. <laughs> you know, I mean, it does does what it says on the tin. You know, so embarrassing. <laughs> oh my god, I did not realize. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> so the the reason why I thought that was interesting is that if we go into the book of Revelations, which some crazy stuff goes down in that one, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking we're talking end of the world territory. Revelations we're, we will, be cray. Revelations be cray cray, <laughs> and it ain't even no thing, you know. I love that. So so there's a character in it who, in the Hebrew, he's called Abaddon. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and it. In Greek, he's called Apollyon, and it translates as the Destroyer. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Mm. So I guess so I it... guess Furnace Face was taken then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, 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 probably. Yeah. But I just it's the thing I like about this film. It's just these light touches, these little things that that just sort of point to some more theological things. Do yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know? I like the fact that you know. Just even just through translation, you can have these little links and that. And I've got to say, just as a, a, a little note, just on the film, I love the design of the destroyer. Like, yeah. there's something about it. It's just, it's just so simple, but almost completely like inhuman, robotic, almost. It was just almost elegant in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, kind I mean, of beautiful, the, almost. I didn't think the metal bum cheeks were needed, if I'm honest. No, no, you know? there, there are some things that should be omitted from life in general, <laughs> but we've got to take what we've got. You know what I mean? <laughs> The uh, the last thing I want to talk about, and um, we're going to stretch it a little bit because this is something that happens in Avengers Endgame. And oh, right. if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame right now, you might want to pause it for a few minutes. You might also want to consider your life up to this point if you still haven't seen <laughs> Endgame. Like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? It's only the you know biggest cinematic event in modern yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. In, in cinema history, <clears throat> actually. To give a, a very quick precy, uh, to give a very quick summary, Mjolnir is destroyed in Thor Ragnarok. 
he gets a new weapon, Stormbreaker, in Infinity War, and he gets Mjolnir back through time travel in Endgame. And there's that wonderful moment who where Thor, who has been battling post-traumatic stress and depression, all these things, he gets the hammer back and I think he says something like, I'm still worthy. And that always makes me makes me smile because I think there's usually two types of people when it comes to, to God. I think there's people that think they don't need God and there's those that think they don't deserve God. And when we talk about worthy, we never really establish what the worthy is. What are you worthy of? What is being worthy of thought? But I think it works well as a nice allegory for being worthy of love, you know, being worthy of acceptance. Yeah. I think it's a really strong message to say that depression doesn't make you any less worthy of love and it doesn't make you any less worthy of god yeah depression is as somebody who's been suffering for it for a very long time i I say suffering from it i I live with it but like it's one of those things where it makes you think that every action that you do makes you a little bit less whole and makes Mm. you feel as though the things you're doing aren't worth anybody's time or even your own time and yeah really that's signals firing your brain that aren't firing the right way it's it's not yeah. it's not a truth it is your action it lies to you i think it does know? it does lie to you and i think the important thing to remember is that it's your actions and it's your it's your sort of the way the path you take in life that really yeah. matters and how you take care of the people around you and the people closest to you and how you take care of yourself as well when you're not being lied to by your own bloody brain and let me tell you you, you think you can trust your brain <laughs> but yeah. sometimes yeah. you can't so yeah depression doesn't change anything you are still worthy of love from god and anyone else for that matter yeah i agree okay guys we're gonna leave it there for today listen thank you so much for listening i've really enjoyed doing this one our next episode is going to be on hacksaw ridge so please check that one out phil have you had a good time absolutely especially when it comes to talking about marvel films because they're just a lot of fun yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely Thank you very much, listeners. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Gordon Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh, and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. Fact-checking by Christina Stannard Good. Gordon Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one-star, in which case, create an award show. Tell Giles and Phil they have been nominated for the best podcast featuring Giles and Phil award. Invite us along. We'll get dressed up all fancy and give interviews on the red carpet. And then when the winners are announced, you give the Giles and Phil award to Kermode and Mayo. Because reasons. <laughs>